Hello and welcome to United's podcast and sermon archives. If you would like to learn more about our church, please go online to our website at fergusunited.org or follow us on our Facebook page. Thank you very much and we hope you enjoy this week's message. God bless. Psalms chapter number 30 and verse 5 says, For his anger endureth but a moment, and his favor is life. Weeping may endure for a night, but joy cometh in the morning. Joy cometh in the morning. This scripture acknowledges the fact that we face seasons of uncomfortable darkness. Weeping, weeping endureth. For the night. It's interesting that you can do a search for scripture and darkness is very seldom found in a positive context. It's it's equated with evil, it's equated with hardship, it's equated with not knowing. Um, God created the night. We read that early on in Genesis, but all through Scripture, darkness is is equated with negative things. And yet the Scripture acknowledges that we as people, even God's people, will go through seasons that are, are dark. Weeping will endure for the night. But it also promises that there's an expiration date on our time of trouble. It says that joy, joy cometh in the morning. So I'm grateful that when I'm going through a time of hardship, I can know that that is not what I'm going to deal with throughout eternity. Now, there are times that, that the, the morning sun, proverbial morning sun, rises on our hardship in this life. And we experience a relief from whatever trouble we're facing. There are other times that people deal with ailments in their body or, or in their spirit. They, they go to the grave with hardship. But if you're living for God, if you're a child of the King and you're surrendered to the Word and you're full of the Holy Ghost... When this life ends, all of those troubles come to a screeching halt. Amen. And the sun, the sun still rises. I'm going to ask you to keep this verse in your mind, and we're going to come back to it at the conclusion of the message. I want to read to us Genesis chapter 1, verses 1 and 2. It states, In the beginning God created the heaven and the earth. And the earth was without form and void and darkness was upon the face of the deep. And the Spirit of God moved upon the face of the waters. And I want to preach on this Sunday, God moves in the darkness. God moves in the darkness. The Scripture tells us that that the earth was void and without form, and darkness was upon the face of the deep. It's hard for us to even fathom our world any way other than what it is right now, but but it all had to be spoken into existence. Everything that we know, every physical element that we're familiar with was, was not there. The galaxies and the universes that we look out into, they were, they were not there. The ground that we walk on and the sky that we gaze into, everything that we're familiar with, it wasn't there. There was just darkness. But even in the mist of utter and complete darkness, the Scripture tells us that the Spirit of God moved. 
Even in that moment, God was moving. He was active. He was not held captive or afraid of the darkness. We read in Exodus, or I'm sorry, in Genesis 32, verses 24 through 26, of an encounter that Jacob had with God. Verse 24 says, And Jacob was left alone, and they wrestled a man with him until the breaking of day. So help me out a little bit. If they wrestled until the breaking of day, what time was it when they were wrestling? All night. It was dark. It was, it was nighttime. And when he saw that he prevailed not against him, he touched the hollow of his thigh, and the hollow of Jacob's thigh was out of joint as he wrestled with him. And he said, Let me go, for the day breaketh. And he said, I will not let thee go, except thou bless me. Jacob was wrestling with God. He was really wrestling within himself prior to this physical encounter with uh, being obedient to the voice of God. God had spoken to Jacob. He had a strong desire to do what the Lord told him to do. In fact, what God told him to do was return home. That's where he wanted to be anyways. He wanted to go back home. But he was also afraid of the reaction of his older brother Esau, who he had robbed and cheated and stolen from and taken advantage of and then ran off without ever confronting it. He wanted to obey the Word of God and the voice of God, but he was afraid that if he stopped long enough to do so, his past would catch up with him. He exhausted all of his resources and every single one of his abilities as the, the night approached in an attempt to appease his brother. He sent forth gifts and he sent forth people and man, he sent livestock and food, everything he had. God had blessed him and he had become rather wealthy and so all of his resources went forward and yet he was still conflicted. He was still afraid. He was still wrestling in a season of darkness. He sent forth people and ultimately he even gathered those closest to him and he sent them over the river and the scripture tells us that he was was left alone in a moment of darkness. And despite all of his efforts and all of his resources and all of his abilities, he still was conflicted in the darkness. He was not at peace with the calling of God. And there appeared a man unto him. This was God in the form of a man. The Scripture says the angel of the Lord. He wrestled with the Lord all night long, back and forth, going, going to and fro, wallowing around on the ground. And it's here in this time where he is alone, encountering God in the middle of the darkness, that he has a life-changing interaction with God. In fact, when he leaves that place, he's no longer called Jacob, but his name is changed to Israel. He doesn't walk the same because when, it, when the Lord took his hip out of joint, it never says that it went back. He, he walked different. He had a different story to tell. He had a new identity, but all of this had to take place in the night. In the night. Without this dark experience, Jacob would have remained Jacob. There would have been no Israel. Think about your Bible as we know it. How many times do you read the children of Israel? The children of Israel. And all of this is birthed out of a a dark encounter with God. We often focus on Daniel in the lion's den. and Rightfully so, the focus is on Daniel because he's the one in the lion's den. But there's another individual who's having an encounter with God in this passage as well. Daniel chapter 6, verses 16-18 through says, Then the king commanded, 
And they brought Daniel and cast him into the lion's den. Now the king spake and said unto Daniel, Thy God, whom thou servest continually, he will deliver thee. And a stone was brought and laid upon the mouth of the den, and the king sealed it with his own signet and with the signet of his lord's, that the purpose might not be changed concerning Daniel. Verse 18 says, Then the king went to his palace and passed the night fasting. Neither were instruments of music brought before him, and sleep went from him. King Darius is the one who ultimately created the situation. This whole thing is unfolding because he allowed himself to be duped by, by those under him. They had it out for Daniel and they wanted to, to set him up and destroy him. And the king, in a lapse of wisdom, fell for their trick. And he passed a decree that if anyone would, would pray that they would be cast into the lion's den. And he sealed that with his signet. And, and when he put that law into place in their culture, it could not be changed. He couldn't change his mind. He had no ability to, to pardon Daniel. King Darius created the issue, but he also cared for Daniel. He, he favored Daniel. And so when it all comes to pass, he's troubled by what had to be done. And yet it still had to be done. And so he places Daniel in the lion's den and they put the stone in place and he seals it with his ring. And then he spent the evening worrying. And while he was worrying, in the darkness, God was working. He was up all night. He wouldn't eat anything. He, he wouldn't allow the musicians to come and comfort him. He was stressed out. He was, he was anxious. He was fearful. Yeah. Scripture says he was unable to sleep. He was all messed up in the head. He knew what was likely to take place. I mean, listen, reason dictates that if you place a, a human being in a den of wild, hungry lions that that human being is going to be destroyed by the situation. He wasn't just dealing with a physical time of darkness. It wasn't just that it was nighttime, but he was dark within his understanding. He was dark within his ability to control the circumstances. And I think that we've spent some time in the same place as Darius. We have people that we care about, loved ones that we see going down a path that's not right. And we recognize that the situation they're in is going to lead to their destruction. We get to a point within our minds sometimes that we no longer ask if God can deliver them. We just want to know how bad the carnage is going to be when we arrive the next morning to look into the den. We don't even know if they can make it out, and yet we're helpless. We're stuck. We're in a place of, of darkness. We have no ability to do anything for them other than pray. They have to make their own decisions. They have to make their own choices. And, and though they're going the wrong way, all we can do is stand by and watch. But while Darius was struggling in the dark, God was hard at work. And while we struggle in the dark, we have to remember that though we cannot see it in the moment, God is still working on our behalf and our prayers are still making an impact. There's another nighttime encounter recorded in Matthew chapter 14, starting at verse 24. <clears throat> but the ship was now in the midst of the sea, tossed with waves, for the wind was contrary. And in the fourth watch of the night, Jesus went unto them walking 
on the sea. And when the disciples saw him walking on the sea, they were troubled, saying, It is a spirit. And they cried out for fear. But straightway Jesus spake unto them, saying, Be of good cheer, it is I. Be not afraid. And Peter answered and said, Lord, if it be thou, bid me to come on unto thee on the water. And he said, Come. And when Peter was come down out of the ship, he walked on the water to go to Jesus. It was late. It was dark. They were weary. The storm was strong, and they were struggling just to maintain their position. They were right where Jesus told them to be, and yet He was not found in their midst. He comes in the midst of the storm, and if we were to read this account in a sister gospel, we would see that the Scripture tells us He would have passed them by. Jesus shows up on the scene, but he, he had no intention of stopping. They had to make a choice in this moment to continue toiling on their own or let go of the oars and cry out to Jesus. They had to decide. They were there. And some of us, again, have found ourselves in a similar situation where it seems like it's dark, it's late, and we're weary. We're no longer trying to gain ground. We're just trying to hold our position. I'm just trying to show up another Sunday. I, I'm just trying to keep the faith for another day. I, I'm just trying to get out of bed another, another time. That's all I want to do. That, that's, that's my greatest goal in life right now. And it takes all of our effort and all of our strength to maintain the poise to do that day after day after day. Yeah. And in the middle of these situations, we find God passing by. And we too struggle with the decision to let go and cry out to God because we're afraid if I, if I let go, I'm going to completely fall apart. Yeah. If, I, if I let go of this oar, the wind is going to blow me so far back and it's going to take me so much extra effort just to get back to where I am. I don't even know if I can make it back to this point. It's interesting to me that the Scripture doesn't say that Jesus came unto them in the fourth watch of the night and entered into the ship and made everything better. He would have passed them by. Can you imagine being in their position and, and, you're, and you're looking out and their faith was so low at this point, they didn't even look out and say, look, Jesus is here. They said, look, the storm has destroyed Him too. It's just a spirit. This storm is so great. This thing is so large. It's so big. It's so aggressive that it, it, it has overcome the Savior. And now we see the Spirit of Jesus walking by us on the water. And they had to choose. Do, do we let go of this thing? Do, do we release control in order to cry out to Him? And fortunately, they do. And He tells them to be of comfort. The storm's still raging, folks. Now they're not even holding the oars anymore. What happens to a boat that's in the middle of the sea, in the middle of a storm, when no one's manning the oars? It, it gets tossed around. We get this picture in our head that they're like, Jesus. You know, they're just all standing on the, the side of the boat. Jesus. Yes? Is that really you? Yes? If it's really you, tell me to come. And, and everything's calm and serene. They're They're everywhere. Jesus! Ah! Is that you? And he's like, yeah, that's me. And they're just flailing. They're, life is still out of control. Nothing's better yet. Just because they started talking to Jesus, is everything didn't change. 
They're still being thrown around and, and some of them are probably falling and they're getting back up and the waves are hitting them in the face and, and they're like, is it you? Yeah, that's me. And Peter says, if it's really you, tell me to come out there. Peter wasn't the smartest disciple. And Jesus is like, okay, come out here. The storm still... Ra- See, we, we forget this. We think when the conversation starts, it's like maybe the storm's going on everywhere else, but it's calm. No, it's crazy right there. It's dark. They can't see. He's crawling out of a boat onto the, the waves, onto the waves in the dark. Now, I've never been in the ocean at night, but I've been out on big lakes at night, and it's spooky. And that's when it's calm. Because you look at the water, and it's just this black abyss. It could be three feet deep, or it could be 30 feet deep. You have no idea. Now, I think Peter knew it was a little deeper than three feet. They're in a sea. And yet, he, he has to overcome this fear. He's got, he's got to find his way out. And, and we look back and say, wow, what a miracle. Man, Peter walked on water. What a guy. But it was in the middle of, of a midnight encounter with God where he had to allow his faith to be greater than his fear, and he had to trust that God was still able to move in the darkness. He steps out, and he begins to make his way to Jesus. And even, even then, even standing on the water, the storm still had an impact on Peter. Because it says that after he took some steps, after he began to make his way, the storm that was still raging captured his attention again and he began to sink because his faith began to fail. And that's when Jesus picked him up and took him by the hand and they went back to the boat and then the storm finally ceased. But it required God to move move in the darkness. Acts 16, starting at verse 23. And when they had laid many stripes upon them, that means they were whipped, they cast them into the prison, charging the jailer to keep them safely. That doesn't mean keep them in a nice, comfortable place. That means you let them go, you're going to pay for it with your life. You keep a good watch on these guys. Who having received such a charge, thrust them into the inner prison and made their feet fast in the stocks. And at midnight, Paul and Silas prayed and sang praises unto God, and the prisoners heard them. And suddenly there was a great earthquake, so that the foundations of the prison were shaken, and immediately the doors were opened and everyone's bands were loosed. It was literally dark. It was midnight. It's pretty dark at midnight. Their setting was dark. Their environment was dark. They were in a dungeon. They had been whipped or scourged, however you want to look at it. The Scripture says many stripes had been laid on them. They were put in the inner prison, which is it's dark, it's dank, it's cold. Their feet are fastened in, in iron stocks. If anybody could have had a pity party, it would have been Paul and Silas. They were in a very dark situation. The future of their ministry seemed dark. I mean, they were called to reach the world. It's awfully hard to do that from a prison cell. Everything looked looked bad, and amid all of this, they choose to pray. And they begin to lift their voice and sing praises to God. You see, by this point, 
they understood that that God is always worthy. My situation is horrible. My back is killing me. My feet are uncomfortable. I can't move the way I want to. It's nasty down here. It's, It's wet. It's dark. I'm surrounded by vile individuals, but but God's still worthy of my praise. He's still good. He's still a, a, a great king. He's still a loving God. And so they begin to lift their voice in prayer and in praise. And it was there in the dark hour of bondage that God was still working. Through their season of darkness, Jesus brings both deliverance to them and salvation to the household of a jailer. See, there was a greater purpose at work. God was working in this dark season. And it wasn't just about Paul and Silas, though they did walk away with a great testimony of a time when God sent an earthquake and delivered them from prison. But God had a bigger picture in mind because there was a jailer who was at a point in his life where when, the, when he came in after the earthquake, you read it, he comes running into the prison and he sees all the doors open and he takes out his sword and he's ready to commit suicide. God says, I see a jailer down there that, that if, I can just, if I can just get his attention, I can change the trajectory of his entire family. And God's working in the dark. Paul and Silas didn't know that. The jailer didn't confide in them on the way to the inner prison. Guys, I just want you to know I'm, I'm suicidal. I'm, I'm really looking for God right now. I'm, I'm trying to find something new in my life. No, he just took them into the prison and he locked them up. They had no idea what God was doing in the darkness. They weren't able to see the big picture. But when the gates flew open, they, they had a, a moment of illumination. And I don't know how they did it, but they convinced all those other prisoners to stay put. And nobody left. And so when the jailer came running in and he's ready to take his own life, they were able to speak up and say, wait, 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 we're all here. It was so dark that he couldn't even see them. He heard their voices. He heard what they had to say. He called for somebody to bring in a light. And there are all the prisoners and his heart is open. And he says, tell me, tell me what I've got to do to be saved. It's not even on the radar. That's not even a part of the conversation. And yet he says, no, I, I, I see something in you. Tell me what I need to do to be saved. Yeah. And before the night's over, his entire household is baptized in the name of Jesus and salvation comes to another family because God was still working in the darkness. <clears throat> There's a very great moment of darkness recorded in Matthew chapter number 27, starting at verse 45. It says, Now from the sixth hour there was darkness over all the land until the ninth hour. There shouldn't be darkness during that time. It should have been daylight. It should have been daytime. And yet the Scripture tells us that for this period of three hours there was darkness over all the land. And about the ninth hour Jesus cried with a loud voice saying, Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani. That is to say, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? Some of them that stood there when they heard that said, The man calleth for Elias. And straightway one of them ran and took a sponge and filled it with vinegar and put it on a reed and gave him to drink. The rest said, Let be. Let us see whether Elias will come to save him. Jesus, when he had cried again with a loud voice, yielded up the ghost. This was a dark dark moment. 
the Savior of the world, the One who created everything, the One who stepped down from glory and robed Himself in this corruptible flesh that we live this life in, and walked and served and gave and healed and helped and provided and did everything He could. He loved and He taught. He did no wrong and yet He's hanging on a cross being mocked and ridiculed and beaten and killed. So much so that that the very creation itself ceased to shine light and darkness fell on the land. This is a dark moment in history. In the midst of this darkness though, the greatest work of redemption was taking place. God was working in the darkness. He was hard at work. He was committed to the cause. And I can read in verse 51, And behold, the veil of the temple was rent in twain from the top to the bottom, and the earth did quake and the rocks rent. That veil that had been put in place to isolate and encapsulate the manifest presence of God for so many years. You and I walk into a church service and we feel the presence of God. We, we stand in our homes and we pray and we feel the presence of God. We were driving down the road and we begin to sing songs of praise and we feel the presence of God. Yeah. Up until this point, that wasn't even possible. Amen. The manifest presence of God was isolated to the veil in the, in the inner court, all the way inside the holiest of holies and only a select number of people in an entire lifetime were granted access to this special place. And just for a few moments as they were there making atonement, they could, they could feel what you and I feel. And yet on Calvary, in the darkest moment that we could ever look back to in history, God was doing such a work that when it was completed, nobody else could recognize it. All the disciples were weeping and they were crying and they were tormented and they, they were denying Him leading up to the event because they couldn't see what Jesus was doing. They couldn't understand. They had no ability to comprehend what was happening in the darkness. But God was working in the darkness. And in the midst of all of that, and through all of that, this veil that, that was used to separate the vast numbers of humanity from the presence of God was torn from the top to the bottom and outflowed the presence of a living God. Because His presence was no longer trapped inside of a room. It, it was no longer just hanging in a single man on a cross, but it was released to all of humanity. And we have the opportunity to go anywhere we want to go, anytime we want to pray. And we can call on the name of Jesus. And the Scripture says that He's as close as the mention of His name. We have access to the unrestricted presence of God because of something He done in a dark dark, dark moment. A dark moment. Psalms 18 and 28 says, For thou will light my candle. The Lord God will enlighten my darkness. He will enlighten my darkness. We don't like the darkness. We don't like it. Not one bit. I'm going to return now to Psalms chapter 30 and verse 5. For His anger endureth but a moment. His favor is life. Weeping may endure for a night, but joy cometh in the morning. The joy that comes in the morning is not a byproduct of a new day. 
Anybody other than me ever had a trial that lasts more than a day? I really hope so, or I'm in bad shape. We go through seasons of darkness. And the sun falls, and the sun rises, and it sets, and it rises. And over and over and over again, there, there's just we're, we're going through this battle. And the weeping endures for the, the season that seems like it just stretches on forever. The Scripture says joy comes in the morning. Joy comes in the morning. It's not that we wake up or, or even that we, we exit a season of trial and our joy is, is replaced simply because we're done with it. It's deeper than that. There's more to this Scripture. I've read it so many times that way, but there's, there's more to it. Rather, the joy that comes in the morning is the byproduct of a revealing of how God has been moving in the darkness. Yes. When all of a sudden I finally walk out of that shadow and I break through and that trial's behind me, now with the light shining back in and I'm able to look back and say, God moved there and He was doing this and He was doing it. Man, I didn't even know. I couldn't see a thing in there. It, it was so black. I didn't even know if I was walking in the right direction. But, but now when I look back on my hardship, I can see the hand of God all over the place. And my joy is refilled and it's replaced because I know I wasn't alone there. I wasn't going through that by myself, but, but God was working. He was working in the darkness. Amen. He was working. He was, he was there with me all the while. We work with our children, and I'm closing. We work with our children as they're young in an effort to help them overcome a fear of darkness. Isn't it strange that that's, that's like an innate fear? I don't know any child or any person that as a child never, never experienced a level of anxiety or fear with darkness. And so we help them as parents. We help them as adults to let them know there's nothing here that's going to hurt you. It's okay. It's all going to be alright. Listen, it, this is your, here's, here's your room with the lights on. And when we turn your lights off, nothing changes. Your surroundings are all the same. It, it, it's all okay. This is what the, the, uh, the walkway from the house to the car looks like in the daytime. And, and you know what? When it's nighttime and you've got to go get something out of the car, it, it, it's the same pathway. Everything's all right. And we coach them through this fear of darkness, yet we as adults sometimes continue to carry this fear of darkness. Sometimes it's physical darkness that we just we, we can't overcome it. There's something about it. Maybe we learn to tame it, but still, when we're in the dark, we're uncomfortable. I don't, I don't know what it is. But we also fear moments of spiritual darkness where in my spirit, I, I just can't seem to get a handle on what God's doing in my life. We absolutely detest moments of mental darkness. There's something in human nature that wants to know exactly what's happening and exactly what's going to happen. And anytime we're thrown into a situation where we're not fully aware of what's going on and, and have a pretty good idea of what we think is going to happen, fear and anxiety begins to set in. And we struggle with that. And yet these are the very, the very environments or situations that God puts us in sometimes. Weeping may endure for the night. Ah, here I am again. And I'm in the dark and I don't understand and I don't know what's going on. And I've come to remind somebody on this Sunday that God has a purpose for your season of darkness. 
He has a purpose for it. Whether it's His creation, like the storms that the disciples faced, there are moments in time, there are hardships that you're going to go through. This doesn't preach real real well on the radio, but I'm going to be honest with you. There are going to be seasons of hardship in your life that are orchestrated by God. Because He has a greater purpose in mind. And whether it's one of those times of hardship and darkness, or whether it's created by your own poor decisions, like the king that had to throw Daniel in the lion's den. Not everything bad that happens in your life can we turn and say, Oh God, why is it like this? The devil must be attacking me. No, sometimes we just make bad choices. Just just being real. I'm there with you. Sometimes we just do stupid things that are outside of the will of God and it thrusts us into a season of darkness. The law of the harvest works, works both ways. When you plant and sow things of righteousness and peace and joy and, and God's way of living, you're going to reap those things. But when you do things that are outside of God's will and you put seeds in the ground that are, that are not appropriate, guess what? You're going to reap that too. Sometimes we're in seasons of darkness that aren't created by God and they're not created by us. But other people make poor decisions that affect us personally. And we're hurt and we're harmed and we can't figure out what to do. And, and, and here we are in this place that makes us afraid because just like a little child, we're afraid of the dark. God can use it no matter where it comes from. His Word tells us He's a very present help in time of trouble. I believe if I could speak for the Lord today, which I'm trying my best to do, just just like a parent, He would turn the lights on. This is what life looks like when the lights are on. This is what living righteously looks like when, when you have full understanding and you can look around and you can see everything. This is what being faithful looks like when, when you've got a clear view. See, everything's good. You're safe. Your environment's fine. I'm in control. We tell our kids, see, I'm, I'm right down the hall. Nothing, nothing bad's going to happen. God says, I'm... I'm right there. Everything, see, everything's okay. <clears throat> and when the lights go out and the darkness sets in, nothing changes. I'm still there. I've still got control of the environment. Everything's all right. Everything's still in place. I, I'm still doing my job as God when you can't see what's taking place as a man or a woman. If you'll stay committed... And you'll stay faithful. In the season of darkness, the sun will rise on your situation. And His efforts will be revealed. And joy will come with the morning. It'll come. You'll understand it one day. Like I said in the beginning, some of it might not be until we, we make it to the other side of glory. We're going to be able to stand and look back on, on the darkest moments of life and say, that's what God was doing. He didn't leave me. He didn't run away. I see what He was doing. We've got to stay faithful in the season of hardship. We're going to pray. I'm going to open the altar and give you an opportunity to come forward and connect with God. You may be in, in a dark moment right now. We sang a song this morning that, that touched me and it just said, I choose to praise. 
when I'm in the lowest valley like Paul and Silas, this place stinks, man. I don't want to be here. I don't feel good. I'm going through all this junk. I tell you what I'm doing. I'm going to pray. I'm going to praise God. I'm going to let, I'm in a, I'm in a pit, man, but I'm going to, I'm going to magnify God because he's still working. If that's where you are today, I would encourage you just pray your way through it. Praise your way through it. It's an old time Pentecostal term. Pray, pray through, pray through. We're not so refined in the church that we've somehow gotten past the point of praying through. Sometimes you just got to slug your way through it and know that God is there with you every step of the way. Let's pray. You're a good God. When I have understanding, you're a good God. When I'm confused and, and dazed and feel like I'm lost, you're a good God. It doesn't change who you are and it doesn't change your promises to me. I lift you up and exalt your name today. I give you praise, Lord. I ask you to lift up and strengthen the hands of every member of this church. If they be going through hardship today, if they're in seasons of darkness, God, that you would help you would deliver, that you would, you would walk with them through this season. Help us, Jesus. Help us, Jesus. Help us, Jesus. Oh, yes, Lord, I give you honor today. I give you praise today. I exalt you today. Oh, I praise your name today, Jesus. Yes, Lord, even in a moment of, of doubt, even in a, a moment of doubt, God, I give you praise. Increase our faith. Help us to be more like you. Help us to follow after you. Your word says that you're the lifter of our heads. When our head is downcast and life seems to get the best of us, lift us up, Jesus. Bless your name, Jesus. Bless
Thank you for listening to our podcast this week. We hope you enjoyed this message. Remember, if you'd like to find out more information about our church or to contact us, please go online to fergusunited.org. And also don't forget to subscribe to our podcast on your favorite podcast app. That way you will be automatically notified of our new episodes. Thank you very much, and we hope you have a great week. God bless you.